from the standpoint of government, the church is a kingdom. And with that kingdom, there is always a king, there is a law, there is territory, and there are citizens. When it comes to God's kingdom, the king is Christ, the law is the gospel, the territory is the whole world, and the citizens of that kingdom are those who submit to the will of Jesus. From the standpoint of unity, the church is the body of Christ. There is one body and one spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling. Ephesians 4 verse 4. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, through all, and in you all. From the standpoint of God's work, the church is the vineyard of the Lord. We'll work till Jesus comes. We work in the vineyard, in the vineyard of the Lord. From the standpoint of the war that takes place between spiritual forces, the church is the army of God. Because we are the armor of God, Ephesians 6 Beginning in verse 10 says we ought to put on the whole armor of God. From the standpoint of fellowship, the church is the family of God. We are His house, Hebrews 3 verse 6 says. We are His house. As the family of God, God is the loving Father over His house. The Lord Jesus is our older brother. We are brothers and sisters in Christ, 1 Timothy 5, 1 and 2. Love is the golden chain that binds us together. We are are heirs with Christ. We are heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ, Romans 8. 17 to 18 says, with the family of God. We want to focus on the church as the family of God for a few minutes this evening and particularly emphasize the terms of entrance into the family of God, the terms of entrance into the family of God. This should serve for us... As a reinforcement of our faith. I like the way Luke opens up his gospel account. Luke 1, 1 through 4. He says, I'm writing so that you will know the certainty of the things that we believe. Are you certain that you are in the family of God? When you lay your head down at night, do you rest assured that God is your Father. So we, we run through these terms of interest this evening because we want to reinforce the certainty in which we believe. Also, we want to bring to our remembrance the precious things of Christ. Peter often said that. I think 
one place in 2 Peter 3, 1 and 2, where he says, I write these things to bring to your remembrance the things of Christ. Someone says, I have a good memory, but it's a short one. And so we need to remember. It's easy for us to forget. But with such an audience as this this evening, our main focus also is to go through the terms of entrance into the family of God so we can reach out. We can reach out. Remember, reinforce, and reach out to others because the world still does not know the very simple matters that we will mention this evening. It's, it's a, a great tragedy that the Lord has explained His ways in such a simplified manner, and yet so many still have not been able to see it. So we begin with the new birth process, Titus 3, verse 5. We begin with the new birth process. Titus 3, 5 says, We are saved, we have been saved, not, not by works of righteousness which we have done ourselves, but rather through His mercy He saved us. Now watch this. Through the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. That's the new birth process. We read in Ephesians 6, 17 that, that the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. And so the Spirit takes His sword, which is the Word of God. He works on our heart. And He'll work on anybody's heart, if they'll allow Him, with the Word of God. We learn about faith in Christ. We learn about the sinful condition. We learn about the importance of repentance for the remission of sins. We learn about the importance of acknowledging our faith in Christ. And we learn about the washing. That is the baptism that brings forgiveness of sins. That's why Titus, Paul to Titus, Titus 3 verse 5 mentions the washing of regeneration. And the renewal of the Holy Spirit. Now back up to Ephesians 5 and 26. Where Paul says that the church has been cleansed. Through the washing of water and the Word. The Word. That is the same as what Titus 3, just 3, 5 said. We are saved not by works that we do or that we prescribe or that we come up with. But through the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Or as Ephesians 5, 26 says, we're cleansed through the washing of water and the Word of God. Now back up to 1 Corinthians 12 and 13, where the statement is made by Paul, For by one Spirit have you all been baptized into one body. Again, notice the elements involved. There's the water, there's the Spirit using the Word of God. And the result of that is remission of sins and being added to the body, which is the kingdom, which is the church. And then we back up to Jesus' familiar statement in John 3, verse 5. Except you be born of water and the Spirit, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. You see these elements together. 
these elements together of the new birth process are very similar to Paul's statement in, Paul's statement in Galatians 3, 26 and 27, where he says, now remember we're talking about entrance into the family of God. You can't get into the family, you can't get into a family without a, a birth. We call this the new birth or rebirth or being born again. And so notice how the new birth process is so similar to what Paul says in Galatians 3, 26 and 27. He says, we are all the children of God by faith or by the faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of us as were baptized into Christ did put on Christ. Suppose a person says, I'm not going to be baptized into Christ. Then that person will not put on Christ. A person who refuses the scripture's teaching about baptism is deciding that he does not want or she does not want Christ to be put on them, to be clothed with Christ, for Christ to be part of their lives. And so notice how similar that is. And this is also similar to 1 Peter 1, 22 and 23, where Peter says, You have purified your souls in your obedience to the truth unto the unfeigned love of the brethren, and see that you love one another with a pure heart fervently, fervently, being born again. Here we go. 1 Peter 1, 23. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed by the word of God, which lives and abides forever. All flesh is as grass, and the glory of man as the flower of the grass. Well, what happens? The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord endures forever. You see how similar those words are without adding to them or taking away. Don't you see the new birth process just brought out here in these different passages in Galatians uh, 3, right here in 1 Peter 1. And it's interesting that Peter in that same epistle says in 1 Peter 3, 21, the light figure we're into even now, baptism does also now save us. Oh, it's just, it's just spelled out for us. It's laid out before us in such simple terms. It behooves us to share this uh, with the world. Now, before we move from the new birth process, remember this spells the difference between the old law of Moses and the Israelites and the new law of Christ. Be turning your Bibles, if you'd like to, over to Hebrews 8 for a second. Hebrews chapter 8. And you'll notice this statement, Hebrews 8, talking about the new covenant. Hebrews 8 verse 11. They shall not teach each one his neighbor. They shall not teach each one his neighbor. They shall not teach each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me, from the least to the greatest. What's he talking about there? He's making a contrast between the old ways of the Israelites and the new ways under Christ. How did one become an Israelite in those old days? He was physically born into the family of Abraham. And then after he was physically born into the family of Abraham, became an Israelite, 
then his parents would teach them about their heritage. They would teach their children about the ways of God and why they are Israelites and, and all the history behind that and why they observe uh, the different festivals that they now observe and so forth. Okay. So they were physically born and then taught, but now under the new law, before you are born into the family of God, you first come to know Christ, you see. We're born of the Spirit who takes the Word of God. We're born of the Word and the water. But we first learn about Christ. We learn about the sinful condition. We learn about the glory of the cross. We, we learn about the love of God. We learn how we need to die to sin. We learn about the importance of confessing our faith. And we learn about the importance of baptism for the remission of sins. We learn about these things and others, other matters, before we are baptized into Christ, before we are born into the family. See, it's almost flipped. It's almost opposite old law and new, new ways today. So as far as entrance into the family of God, it takes the spiritual rebirth uh, process. Now I want to notice with you some connections to this new birth that can help us to see this entrance into the family in an even, even greater way. The first connection is that when we are coming into the family of God, we see the true values of God. The true values of God. I want to run back with you to 1 Peter 1, 24 and 25, where it says, All flesh is as grass, and the glory of man, the glory of flesh, is as the flower of the grass. And what happens? The grass eventually withers, and the flower falls. But nonetheless, a lot of people still glory. They still put their emphasis. They still glory in the things of the earth. But the Bible teaches that we don't glory on things of the earth, but rather we glory in the Lord. 1 Corinthians 1.21 If you're going to glory, glory in the Lord. Paul says in Galatians 6.14 that um, he does not glory in anything save the cross of Jesus. Now Paul could have gloried in a lot of different matters. He could have gloried in his heritage. We can read through Philippians 3 and see the great heritage that, that the Apostle Paul had in the Jewish religion. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews, it says in Philippians 3. It says he was um, blameless concerning the law. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was of the tribe of Benjamin. Okay. Now Benjamin was born of, of Rachel, not of one of Jacob's uh, handmaids, uh, Bilhah or Zippah. But rather, not of a handmaid, but uh, Benjamin was born of Rachel. Rachel. Paul could have gloried in his heritage there as a Pharisee of Pharisees, of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. But, of course, he didn't glory in that. He gloried in the cross. Paul could have gloried in the fact that Christ appeared to him. That he had a true vision of the resurrected Christ. We read about that in Acts 9, Acts 22, and Acts 26. 1 Corinthians 15 8, Paul says that last of all he was seen of me. Paul could have gloried in that, but he didn't. He gloried in the cross. 
Paul could have gloried in all that he accomplished for the Lord, and he did. He traveled more than any other person known, traveled thousands of miles. And the things he did, the things he endured for Christ, are well written uh, in the Scriptures. And we read those things for our, our encouragement and our inspiration. Men have a tendency to glory in the wrong things. Some will glory in their education. Some will glory in their financial status. Some will glory in the strength of their body or even in their, in their long years uh, for the Lord. But it seems that we need to read from Jeremiah chapter 9, 23 and 24, where Jeremiah warns us about some of these matters. He says, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. He says, Let not the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches. But let him who glories, Jeremiah 9, 24, let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows that I am the Lord, who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Add to that Psalm number 147, verses 10 and 11 is a great one to mark in our Bibles. Psalm 147, 10 and 11. His delight, the Lord's delight. The Lord's delight is not in the strength of the horse, nor is His pleasure in the legs of a man. But the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear Him, in those who hope in His steadfast love. There's a lot of things that we can glory in, boast about. But we ought not boast in any of these things that we've mentioned. Things that we've done for Christ, we need to forget them and glory in the cross. Things that we know about the Lord, forget that. That's just glory in the cross. Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the rich man glory in his riches. Let not the mighty man glory in his might. Let us not take pleasure in the strength of our bodies. It might come to a surprise, but you know, a, a bodily workout is not a spiritual experience. Now, you, you might feel different. You might feel different. You might even, as you walk or, or jog or whatever, whatever, you might think about the Lord, but the workout itself is not a spiritual experience. The reason you feel different probably is because you just don't get that much exercise in the first place. You don't, you don't do a lot of bodily work. Okay, so you... You say, well, I feel different, I feel better, I feel, I feel something else. Well, it's not a spiritual experience. Paul said in 1 Timothy 4, 7, and 8, bodily exercise profits a little. But notice his contrast. He said, but godliness, but godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. And so as we are coming to the family of God. The, one of the great terms of interest, it, entrance is to focus on the values of God. And Peter helps us with that as he talks about the new birth. He says, remember, the, the flesh is as grass and it withers. And all the glory of man that man thinks he has as he lives on this earth, that falls also. Let him who glories 
glory in the Lord. All right, so we talked about the spiritual rebirth as an entrance into the family of God, and it connects to the true values of God, but also this spiritual rebirth, it connects to life uh, in Christ, spiritual life in Christ. I love to think about this. But going back to the statement there in Titus chapter 3, verse 5, about the rebirth, we, we're, we're not saved by things that we do or things that we come up with to do by works of men, but rather by the washing or regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Notice the word regenerate there. It means to bring to life again. Bring to life again. We, we love this thought because um, we know what sin does to us. According to Ephesians 2 and the verses there, we're dead in our sins. As long as we are apart from Christ, we are dead in our sins. But notice that through the new birth process, we can be regenerated. New life can be ours. That's why we read in John 10 verse 10, the Lord saying, I am come that you may have life and have that more abundantly. And I love, and I know you love it too, the way the Gospel of John ends in John 20. Have you read that closely? Notice its connection to life. Now, notice in John 20, 30 and 31, how John closes his Gospel. He says, Many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of His disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have what? You may have life in His name. Yes, that's the purpose of the Scriptures. So we can get that life, that life. We finally get that life through the spiritual rebirth process. We're regenerated. We're regenerated. Okay. We read in 1 Peter 3, verse 7, that... God's ideal for husbands and wives is they would be heirs together of the grace of life. The grace of life. And we read the familiar uh, passage in Romans 6 verse 4 that when we are buried with Christ in baptism, we are raised to walk in newness of life. See how all that connects together? Newness of life. Sometimes we don't act like we have a new life. We still act like sometimes that we're in the old dead world. But I like what John says in 1 John three fourteen. He says, Brothers, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brothers. Notice that statement, 1 John three fourteen. Here's Here's the familiar uh, territory there. We know we have passed from death to life. How do we know that? John, how do we know that? Well, from what we just talked about. Okay. We are dead in sin, but we seek the Lord. We seek His process. We're regenerated. We are raised to walk in newness of life. We know, see, we, we wanted to begin by talking about how that we need to examine ourselves. Do I know that I'm in the family of God? We know we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. You see, that's to be an automatic um, a circumstance. We are, as we are baptized into Christ and receive that new life, 
we are to automatically take on the love of Jesus, the love of God in our lives, and start loving our brothers first and loving the whole world as well, just as God loves us. How do you know that? Run back to your passage there in 1 Peter 1.22. See and then that you have purified your souls in your obedience to the truth unto something. Unto what? When you obey the truth, unto what? Unto unfeigned love of the brethren. See that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. That's to be automatic. Automatic. Okay. Sometimes we miss that as we're teaching the gospel. Okay. What am I baptized into? Well, baptized into Christ? Yes. Baptized for the remission of sins? Yes. Baptized into the body of Christ? Yes. But I'm also baptized into a new way of thinking, a new way of feeling. We pass from death to life because we love the brethren. It's unto the unfeigned, the sincere love of the brethren. Now, before we leave this connection to spiritual life, I want you to think about what Peter says in 2 Peter 1.3. He says, um, and he's talking in, in behalf of all the apostles. He says that God has granted unto us all things. He's speaking as an apostle. How thankful we are. In John 16, 13, Jesus promised the Holy Spirit upon the apostles and that 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 Holy Spirit would guide them into all the truth. That's that's kind of what Peter's saying here in 2 Peter 1, 3. He says, God has granted unto us all things that pertain to life, notice this, life and godliness. Because of God's qualifications, qualifying the apostles for receiving what they received, we can be sure that we have spiritual life. Keep going back to my driving experience in Texas. Okay? But it's a new thing, so what else should I uh, talk about? You know, I'm just thankful to be alive. Thankful to be alive. Literally. Literally. So, not only is there no wiggle room, but as you're going into these major cities, okay, you've got, you've, you've got these women with you who have their GPS voice lady on. Okay. And so, the voice lady on the phone says, please stay in the right-hand lane in order to go to San Antonio. Okay. I'm in the right-hand lane. I'm in good shape. As you turn a curve in a major city, all of a sudden to your right appears three to five more lanes. Okay. All of a sudden, you're not in the right-hand lane. You're now in the middle of seven or eight lanes. Okay. And now there's a new effort made to make sure that we're in the proper lane in order to not go downtown Houston and get lost, but to go on to San Antonio. The good thing with the Lord is He doesn't create any more lanes. Okay? He has set us away. It's the narrow way, according to Matthew 7, 13 and 14. It's not the broad way. Okay? It's not the wide gate that leads to destruction. It's the, it's the narrow gate. It's the straight way. But God's not going to add any more lanes. He's not going to come along with any more further revelations from heaven. He is through. He has sealed up His 
His communication with man. He did that with the apostles and the New Testament. And so we can be assured when Peter says they have been granted all things that pertain to life and godliness. We have all that we need to know how to live, how to receive salvation, how to live, and how to get to heaven. So please notice this connection to true values. Notice this connection to new life. Notice a third connection to the spiritual rebirth. And that is to notice that this new life is located in a certain place. God's always done this. God always locates His blessings. Where was salvation found in the days of Noah? In the ark. In the ark. If anyone from Jericho was to be rescued uh, from Joshua and the people coming in to conquer Jericho, where would they need to be? In Rahab's house. That's right. God has always located his blessings. This spiritual life, which comes from the rebirth process, is found in Christ. Now notice in your Bibles with me, 1 John 5. 1 John 5. These are marvelous passages. I can't emphasize this enough. These are the kind of passages that we really have got to have um, on the forefront of our minds, marked well in our Bibles, uh, well emphasized in our notes, whatever it takes. 1 John 5, verse 11. 1 John 5, 11. This is the testimony that God gave us This is the testimony that God gave us eternal life and this life is in His Son. Notice that. This is the testimony that God gave. That this eternal life that He's promised, this life is in His Son. See, this life and the blessings of God pertaining to this new spiritual life are found in a certain place in Christ. In Christ. Let's, let's notice a few other of these, of these verses. John 16, 33, Jesus said, I want to leave you my peace, and this peace is in me. The peace that Jesus wants to, for us to have is located in Christ. In Christ. According to Paul, in Ephesians 1, verse 3, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places is located in Christ. In Christ. According to Paul in 2 Timothy 2, verse 10, he said, I endure all things for the elect's sake, that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ. In Christ. In that same chapter, 2 Timothy 2, in verse 1, he says, Be strong in the grace of our Lord which is in Christ. In Christ. In 1 Timothy 1, uh, 13 and 14, 1 Timothy 1, 13 and 14, Paul says that um, he was saved according to God's mercy again with faith and love which is in Christ. So faith and love is in Christ. Grace of Jesus is in Christ. Salvation is in Christ. Peace from God is in Christ. This life, this eternal life is located in Christ. Of course... As you're discussing these matters with someone, you ask, well, how do you get into Christ? Well, we're baptized into Christ, Romans 6, 3. 
We're baptized into Christ, Galatians 3, 27. God locates His blessings. I want you to see that the spiritual birth process is connected. It's connected to true values. It is connected to new life in Christ. And it's connected to where God locates His blessings. And then one other, it's connected to access. Access. It's one thing to talk about the wonders of a computer or the wonders of a phone. But if you don't have access, you can turn on the computer and you say, I want to get on, I want to get into this computer. But most of the time there's a password, a passcode. If you don't have that access, then you're not going to enjoy any of the wonders of what might await you, whether in that phone or or um, on the internet and the computer. This entrance into the family of God provides access to the blessings of prayer. Notice how Jesus teaches us to pray in Matthew 6, verses 9 and 10. He says, pray like this, Our Father, who art in heaven. Now, He's really speaking there of the family of God. Because as we mentioned a moment ago, God is the loving Father over His house. And it is His children who have access to the blessings of prayer. Paul mentions these blessings of prayer in Philippians 4, 6, and 7 when he said, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding shall guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Folks, I wanted to go over this entrance into the family of God for three reasons, as I mentioned before. To reinforce the certainty of our belief. To bring to our remembrance these very passages that need to be so deep into our hearts. And for us to be ready to reach out with our loved ones. Don't you think that you could take some of these very passages, verses, and ideas and sit down with someone? If someone asks you, okay, do you know, what to, do you know how to become a member of God's family? Could you approach someone and say... Hey, what do you know about God's family? Would you like to become a member of God's family? And then we can take these various principles and ideas that are plainly laid out. And we have sought, I have sought this evening, not to add very much comment at all, but just let the scriptures lay open for themselves. It could be that someone here this evening maybe. And this happens quite a bit. Maybe you're not so certain. Maybe you've been baptized in the past, but perhaps your knowledge then is not as strong as your knowledge now. I've had many people, many people come to me over the years in a private way and said, I want to be sure. I want to be baptized. I know so much more now than I did then. Many people, many people sitting here this evening 
Several of you have, have gone through that process with me over the years. Not a thing wrong with that. As Peter says, 2 Peter 1, we need to make our calling and election sure. Can we help you this evening? Please make it known right now as we stand together as we sing.